0: Hello, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators. The hosts are Ava Thanheiser, me, Dusty Jones, and Joel Amidon. And I'm a little sad to say I, we won't be hearing from Ava today. She had something else come up. But today, I am excited that we're talking with Dr. Megan Burton. Megan's an associate professor in the Department of Curriculum and Teaching at Auburn University, And she's also president of the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators, and we're talking with her for a number of reasons, but specifically, we wanted to hear about what experiences led her to her current role as president of AMTE. Welcome, Megan. Can you tell us just a bit about yourself and your background?
1: It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Just to let you know a little bit about myself, I grew up with a math family, but at the same time, math was my least favorite school subject. I was really strong at it, but it just seemed so disconnected in the world around me. But I loved teaching and understanding learners and how their minds work and um, trying to learn with them. And so, I decided to become an elementary teacher, and I taught during ten, 10 years. I was an inclusive teacher, and I taught with a large population of students that English was not their first language, and discovered this brilliance that wasn't translating to the math curriculum that they were required to do. So, as a teacher, I started trying to find ways to meet needs and to adjust, and after doing my master's program, I still felt I needed more support. And so, to be honest, I entered my PhD program to be a better elementary teacher, to understand the research, to advocate for my learners and such. But during my PhD program, I started to discover the power we have as teacher educators to impact future teachers, and to impact mathematics teacher education. So I started really enjoying working with pre-service teachers, particularly elementary, where math may not be their favorite subject, but helping them realize that math is more than perhaps how they were taught. And so I've really enjoyed that, and I've enjoyed seeing them discover the beauty of math, and even those that enjoyed math, helping them realize It's more than just the way they see it, but how many lenses there are. So I'm now at Auburn University, and I've been here eight years, and I love what I do.
0: What's the best advice that you received when you started as a mathematics teacher educator?
1: It's a great question. Perhaps one of the best pieces of advice I, I got came from Ed Dickey when I started at the University of South Carolina, he told me to go to this wonderful conference called AMTE. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I learned there was that there were people that were passionate about teaching research as well, but also just about supporting math teacher educators and math education as a whole. And so to be honest, I had been in that elementary space where my focus was mathematics, but finding AMTE helped me kind of look at the broader collaboration and how how mathematics is so important throughout. And through those colleagues, I've been inspired in my teaching. I've gotten to collaborate in outreach and research. And that's really where I found my home. So I think it, it would be Ed Dickey, perhaps. Yeah. And one other thing, though, I do want to say is the dean, when I started, talked about the importance of balance. And I know that's something right now a lot of us struggle with. To be honest, it's something I struggled with as an elementary teacher and I struggle with today as a math teacher educator is finding that balance of making a difference, but realizing we're not the only person that we need to stay balanced outside of work in order to be effective.
0: So turning this around, what advice would you give someone who was starting out as a a math teacher educator? I
1: think three things that resonated with me from our last conference, but I also think they're just critical in general, is number one, the work-life balance, being kind to yourself that we're all human and doing the best we can. I think the second would be find community, people that inspire you and push you and also that encourage you and try to create that community in your classroom as well. And the third one I think I would get to is that we're all learning on this journey and there's always more we can learn. And so just keep in mind that I know sometimes people think when I get that Ph.D., I'm there or when I get tenure, I'm there. We're never there. We're always still learning.
0: That's a great quote. I'm going to write that down. So we're never there. We're always still learning. That's a different perspective maybe than, than someone might have when they're in the middle of their, say, undergraduate preparation. You know, they are thinking, you know, if I could just get through this class or if I could just get this degree or if I could just get this job or once they have a job, if I could just get this other job or this other placement. Yeah. So, or the, the tenure track line for those of us that are in the university. That's with a really that. neat perspective. How do you how do you incorporate that into your own life, Megan?
1: <laughs> it's something I struggle with, but I think we're in <laughs> such a society of the destination. And it's just like I saw on Twitter the other day someone was commenting about students asking is this a graded assignment or not? And mm-hmm. we're all about that thing. And such a huge part of what we know about math education is that in-between part and about students. The productive struggle Mandy Jansen talks about, the connecting it to our real world and building on what we already know. And so I think that just applies beyond just our learners and keeping that in mind as our college students, trying to help them see when I grow and learn from mistakes. And I share things like last fall, we incorporated some mindfulness study with my math methods course. Rachel Welder and Heidi from Georgia Southern, we worked together on that. And sharing with my students, I was learning about balance and struggling with it. I think some of those things, it's important for our students to see us really learning along the way. And I guess that's it. And then I've just connected with a group that I'm getting to collaborate with called STEM Rocks that involves Krista Jackson and Margaret Schroeder and a whole large group. And I'm learning from them. And one of the things that I love in our writing group is that people say, I don't know about this. Can you share more? So Mm -hmm. I think that's really our goal is to keep learning and growing.
2: It just makes me think like there's these sometimes you think about the the arrival to the doctorate degree or, uh, you know, even just getting the name of of teacher after you graduate and you're in this role and thinking like, sometimes there's limitation to those things where, oh, I am the professor. So I need to profess or I'm the teacher. I need to teach. And like, like it's breaking through and being like, no, 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 no. I, it's like breaking beyond those barriers. Like, no, no, no. I'm still a learner primarily. And that I can learn from this first grade student, just like I can learn from my pre-service teacher, just like I can learn from a fellow colleague, just like I can learn from the president of my uh, organization, just like I can learn from anyone. And so like having those roles, sometimes it feels like that we need to break through them. I like that you like that arrival, like just because we have arrived at certain places or gotten certain titles or whatever, that there's things that we need to always keep learning. And just, I don't know, that's that's a good message. I, like, I appreciate that.
1: I was on Catherine Chaval's webinar, webinar last night from NCTM and it was teachers and Catherine and a whole group and she was showing student work and we could learn so much from the students. And I think that's just what what helps us so much as a group. And I loved the the No Guilt Book Club in December we did with Catherine Day's book. She talked about the teachers she learned from. I really think that's just key in all we do. But on the flip side, something to be honest that worked on the last couple of years and I continue to work on is because I do so much see myself as a learner and still a work in progress. Sometimes I don't see the strength and privilege and power that I have to advocate for things. And certainly in this role, but even as an associate professor or an assistant professor or a teacher, you know, all of those different places, I did have voices that I didn't uh, voice and power and privilege that I didn't always use. I would advocate for my students in a small group but i'm realizing more and more helping my learners see the importance of advocacy because i'm seeing it in what i'm doing now as well.
0: That's
2: a good point as well.
0: That kind of leads me to my next question as we you said in one of your early advice that you got from Ed Dickey was to attend AMTE and now in a span of not so many years you're now the president. So Thinking about your role as president of AMTE, and I know that you're not thinking like, I achieved it, you know, I checked the box and now we're going, you know, we're done with that. But thinking about your role as the president, what's the best advice you received when you started out in this role?
1: Oh, there's so many. So I knew a little bit of what I was getting myself into from committee work to being chair of a committee to I was the affiliate director before the restructuring. So I served on the board. But I had not been involved in a leadership role. I'd been on committees, but not really involved in a leadership role until last year when I I was elected. It had been a while. And so learning about the restructuring was a little overwhelming at that first meeting. And I started thinking, how do we keep moving forward? And I remember feeling this doubt. And Ava, who's not here for me to be able to say this, came up to me without realizing that and said, I'm so glad you were elected. I'm excited to see what's happening and I'm excited to see what you're going to do in these years. And you were here for a reason. And that stood out to me throughout the time i know it's not quite advice but it's what i needed to hear mm-hmm. and then um throughout this year we've been trying to put together information because this next year we'll be electing the next president elect we've been trying to put together information so people know what these roles mean and what they involve and so i've gotten to talk to a lot of past presidents including Our current one, Mike Steele, who has been a wonderful mentor, and all of them shared, first of all, their own self-doubts. And yet I look at what they accomplished and realize AMT is so much more than the president, that it's the whole group leading and that that we can do this together. But one of the things that also stood out to me was that idea that you're never alone in this role. Fortunately, last year, Mike and Sherry and I met every week to try to plan what were we going to do during the pandemic to meet people's needs? What were we going to do for the conference? And now Mike serves as past president, and Sherry and I continue to meet each week to say, how do we keep community circles going in, a, in an effective way? How do we you know, do all these things? So I think that's the nice advice is that you're never alone. Remember, you've got All these great leaders between those three and then the board and all of the divisions and committees, they're really doing the work. My job is just to help make space so that we actually do move forward and that we are able to meet the needs of members. And I think a big part of the role is just listening. I know that kind of rambled beyond your question, but.
0: oh, but that's really good. You gave me a lot to think about and some, some questions that I have now kind of moving forward with that. So you said you've been putting together information and maybe this is going to be, I'm guessing, made available at some future time or maybe it's already out there. But what sorts of things can you give us just kind of a sketch about yeah. what is it? An election for the president of AMTE is, is coming soon for the president elect. What sorts of things do people need to know to think about you know, is this something that I should think about pursuing or is this what does the role entail? What do you want to share about that?
1: Yeah. Great question. Well, the first thing is, think of people you feel would be strong in this role that you might want to nominate. Someone nominated me. You can do it anonymously. I had no idea who it was. I would have never thought to put myself forward, but someone else did. And I hear multiple past presidents who said the same thing. So think about people that you think might be interested. They can always say no. Mm-hmm. But some of the information we've got going out is I got to sit down with some past presidents, um, Jenny Bay Williams, Randy, Randy Phillips, Christine Thomas, and Karen carp And we talked, um, Courtney um, Miller helped lead that discussion. And we talked about what their roles were like. And it was interesting to hear Karen Karp say that as when she was president, they started having a budget, which I, I can't imagine, you know, that <laughs> wow. time before then, it was just you have this money, let's spend it. You know, all of these things, just listening to when affiliates got involved, when committees started working and how this organization has grown over the years. So that's a great it's it's about 15, 20 minutes, a little clip you can watch. In addition, Fran Arbor and Marilyn Stretchens have written a great reflection about their time that's going to be in the Connections newsletter. Um, We also have treasurers coming up and we have our current and most recently past treasurer share a little bit both on video and in a written article about their experience. And then Ava and Krista Jackson, who have both been um, board members at large, share a little bit about their experience because those are the three positions that are available this year. So I think that helps unpack some of the information so people can see that none of these jobs are an island. We're all community and here to support each other. And also what we hope is that it helps people feel comfortable reaching out if they are considering it. I hope someone would feel comfortable emailing myself or Mike or anyone else and saying, tell me a little bit about this." So that's, that's what's coming out.
0: Great. So that's going to be in this upcoming issue of the connections. And as soon as that's available, we'll put that link in our show notes as well.
1: Um, and you can actually already see the videos. If you click under headquarters, there's information about the upcoming election and you can see those videos there.
0: Oh, great. I will. We'll definitely
2: put that link there. That's wonderful. Thanks. I mean, I really like that from a, I remember when Babette came on and she talked about leadership in the organizations and just, you know, taking that, try to find a place that you can serve within the organizations and AMT being one of them. But then I'd I'd really like the the picture that you're able to paint of these different positions. So the people aren't like blindly accepting something, but actually going into it to see like, what are the gifts I have and do they fit within this role? And I think that's outstanding being able to do that. Cause I think sometimes it's like, what am I able to do and how can I fit in? And where some people like, they really enjoy talking to people and maybe being the to have that sort of conversations about manuscripts. That could be one thing versus, uh, you know, wanting to. They like <laughs> budgeting and things like that. <laughs> like the Treasury would be a great spot. Wow, I still can't get over that we didn't people didn't know that what the budget was. That was awesome. <laughs> That's a great piece of information. Uh,
1: that would make me laugh when she said. Oh my
2: it. gosh! Yeah. But that's like my checkbook in college. So, oh, well. Yeah, right. There's money. OK, I'll do yeah, yeah. that.
1: <laughs> well, and even if people aren't considering running, I think these are really useful because it helps people realize, first of all, all of these are volunteer positions and we're still teaching. I'm teaching two courses and doing my research. And so is everyone else along this. But it's because we care about math teacher education, just like you guys doing this podcast and all the different work you do, that we're all working together on this, and it helps make it a little bit more visible what the work actually is. And I know there's certain things I didn't realize all the different organizations AMTE connects with and meets with to try to collaborate. Yesterday, I was just on a, a video call with NCTM's president, NCSM, TOTOS, and the Ohio Council of Teachers Mathematics Executive Director, as we were talking through some issues and what we could do together on an upcoming thing. So it's really neat to see how far AMTE's reach can be in supporting teachers and teacher education.
0: That's wonderful. And I really like how, when we're thinking about AMTE being an organization, it actually is an organization of, of different people doing things. And one thing that you can do if you're like, well, I'm I don't have time or the interest to actually be one of these leaders. I mean, we all can be involved and nominate others for these things. So that that's still a way to have your voice heard. And I think just personal uh, opinion, I think AMTE has been doing a very good job of listening to its members or at least trying to listen to its members. Yeah,
1: I would add to that also, please, if there are things that you see, hey, I wonder about this, or I'm curious, have y'all thought about this, reach out to anyone on the board. And I know all of us are happy to listen and meet those needs. I'm excited. And yet also, I hope people will consider volunteering. I'm excited to say that last year, we've been keeping track of who fills out a volunteer form and trying to make sure people get on committees and so forth. Last year, we're down to very, like it's, a minimal number of people who volunteered who didn't get on a committee and it was their first time to volunteer. So if you're at all interested, and we're finding more and more ways that we need volunteers as the organization grows, as we try to reach out to different members and increase the support that we offer. So please consider, uh, you know, you can get involved at any level of commitment, whether it's just sharing your ideas or stepping onto a committee to find out a little bit more about the organization and and one of the things we're really trying to do strategically is to reach beyond just the math teacher education, higher education community, that our classroom teachers that supervise interns, you're a math teacher educator, people in district offices are math teacher educators, people at the State Department who help with some of the curriculum decisions. Um, we're also trying to reach out to some of the institutions that currently may not be involved to say, what needs can we meet and what can we do to help have your voice at the table about math teacher education? Because we don't want to just be in our higher ed silos.
0: Exactly. So, Megan, thinking about as the president of AMTE, what makes a good day as the president of AMTE?
1: Oh, you gave some great. When you ask that one, there's so many things. I've got to be honest. The first one, just for me, not just as president of AMT, but just for me, is being in a classroom where there's this community and you're seeing light bulbs and sense-making happen, whether that's my college students, a graduate class, or my elementary students, and also walking away from that. As AMT president, I think one of the things that's really exciting is when we hear from people that say, you know, we got an overwhelming amount of positive feedback about this conference, about people who said they felt community, whether it was their first time or multiple times, people that missed face-to-face because, because we, we do connect, but also people that are wanting things beyond the conference. And I, I remember when I first came on as affiliate chair, Marilyn Stretchens was president, and she really emphasized we want to be more than just a conference. And so I think a good day for me is when I'm hearing people that have been impacted by things beyond just the conference. When somebody posts, hey, I heard Teresa Wills' podcast. That was great. Y'all need to, to listen to that. Or we signed up for this webinar and it really met my needs. I've loved how the Connections newsletter has started sharing more and more. So a good day for me is that, but also I appreciate the feedback when people may feel their needs we're not meeting. We can't always do everything. We are a volunteer organization, but hearing those thoughts helps us meet and try to try to figure out what can we do better in the future. Because like I said, we're always learning and growing. And so I really appreciate when people come to us and say, AMTE, I questioned this, or have you thought about this area? How are we meeting the needs of these scholars? Those are things that make it it's sometimes tough to hear when you care about an organization but it's something you want to hear so you can make it better just like that productive feedback in the classroom.
0: So kind of turning the page a little bit, Megan, what do you do for fun? How do you balance things out? What are some things that you do when you're not uh, being a math teacher educator?
1: Well in the past, my answer would be travel. I love <laughs> what's this that. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I love to travel, whether it's whether it's local, international, just to go find new places. And I love when I can travel in ways that aren't big travel groups, but like renting a house in Ireland or, you know, and getting to know people or I've spent several summers in Estonia and Lithuania, working with children over there and getting to know them. And in China, I got to teach a STEM camp. I I love getting to really get to know people from different cultures and, and really connect with them. But since I haven't gotten to travel, I've always been involved in pet rescue. I tend to be the person that will rescue The rescue will send a foster a dog that may not make it, but just needs a loving home for those last little bit. Mm. But I've failed enough times in other dogs that I'm now up to three thanks to the pandemic. (laughs) So we're not fostering anymore. So I love my dogs. I love traveling. I do not have kids of my own. So I am definitely the spoiler aunt that lives for my nieces and nephews in Virginia and Florida. So and pottery is my stress relief. I don't make great pottery, but I enjoy doing it because it helps relieve tension. So I have a wheel that I use for that. And that's cool. about it.
2: Well, I just was thinking about the pottery. I mean, like, that's probably a like you're talking earlier about mindfulness. I bet you you can't you can't concentrate on. I don't, I don't know if you have a wheel or what or however you do your pottery, but you probably have to be totally in it in order to do pottery well. I, I would guess.
1: You do. I love, I picked it up right before the pandemic. And when they closed, I'd been doing it for about a year. And when they closed down our local pottery place for the pandemic, I ordered a wheel and I now have it in my house. And I am a late night person. That's when my writing happens. So I have now learned when I get to a block, I go and sit in front of the wheel. And like you said, it's such a release. And there's so many great metaphors and, and Mm -hmm. things you can find in pottery that the clay gets too stressed. So it needs to rest some that you can always reshape it from the mistakes that you really Mm -hmm. need to be centered if it's ever going to work. So yeah, it certainly helps with mindfulness for sure. Have you thought (laughs) of a
2: question like a math in context question around pottery yet? Have you generated one?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I wish I had, to be honest. I've separated those two and I probably should not. I'm glad you asked that. I did right before the pandemic, we were starting to work on this. I have a friend that's in science education and does a lot with STEM, Krishnika, who does pottery. And we were going to get elementary students to make whistles that are pretty easy to make with pottery. And we were going to incorporate some math and science with that. And then oh, cool. we had the date set. It was April of last oh, year, yeah. but we hadn't fully realized that before everything else happened. So I need to pick that back up. Thanks for yeah,
2: No, that, that would be fun. That'd be fun to see. I just, I think about that because for a brief period, I was, I did the palette of problems in the now defunct uh, math teaching in the middle school Every context was like, oh, my gosh, I have to write like 10 problems. I'm like, there's a context I can write a problem about. So just switch off that part of my brain. But
1: yeah, well, I tell you one thing that I'm very thankful for during this pandemic, though, as you mentioned, those resources are the things like NCTM's 100 days and the total webinars. And I appreciate we did some at the very beginning and are picking them up back right now. But it seemed our members were so involved in those other other wonderful webinars that you know we do need to find that work-life balance, but I've learned so much from all of those and that's helped widen my community. So that's been a great inspiration.
2: I guess that leads to one more question, Megan. And, and this is something I was thinking about because AMTE, the virtual conference was over two weekends and it was good. It was, and, and I have never attended more sessions and it was just great to see people and interact. And I was using the chat back channel and all our Zoom rooms and things. And I wonder, have you thought about this as an organization? Like, how do we balance to make sure like we are providing things, but then when you provide things, some people may feel obligated to show up. Like it's that balance of, we don't want to overwhelm people, but we want to make sure they're getting what they need. I don't know. Have you had any discussions like that?
1: Yeah, we did as a board, Dusty knows this beforehand and it came after as well, It was this challenge and we did hear from the membership that while some appreciated the Saturdays, some did not want them because it's hard to take off during the week so that you can work on Saturday and say, hey, I can't come in because I'm working Saturday. And so instead, a lot of people did you know, work that extra sixth day. Our challenge was not wanting people to miss two days in a week of classes or, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. And with yeah. the time zone, our, our because we were across time zones, it was difficult to get an, the sessions in. And we know so many people, not only do we go to learn from our colleagues and to connect, presenting is an important part of a lot of people's work expectations. Right. Yep. And so- It was surprising, exciting, and I also felt a little guilty when I read the feedback of how many people really wanted to go to every session. And so some of the feedback was I didn't have enough time for lunch or I didn't, you know, (laughs) these Saturdays were tough. And my thought had been before, and I don't know about Dusty's as, as he was there, but listening from the board perspective, it was These are the days we can offer them. And we know people aren't going to be able to make every session. But if we offer it this way, more people can present and you can find what works for you. So it was really a surprise to me how many people did did do just what I did of turn off their camera and eat during a session because you didn't want to miss it. it. Says a lot about the presentations.
2: Yeah, I may or may not have uh, emptied a dishwasher during one of the presentations or <laughs> prepared, a, prepared a meal, but you could. I mean, that was kind of a unique situation, but no.
1: Mike right. was, on tread- Steel was on the treadmill, still was <laughs> on so, the treadmill. That's right. But one of the things we have discovered that we want to build on because the chats during conversations oh. were so powerful. And while I know the app, May have struggled some. I'll go ahead and say that's a contract we signed into back in February or March of last year before we knew where we'd be. But it does have this great feature when we're face to face. You can chat via the app. Mm -hmm. And so we were thinking at our next conference, we might want to make that available so that during during the opening session, because Joel, while you were sharing and Sandra and Naomi were sharing all your great insights, it was also so powerful to hear other people's thoughts on it. So,
2: oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're in the fireside chat and I know one of, uh, I think the docs, one of the doc students here at University of Mississippi was in there and Rochelle Gutierrez was kept throwing things into the chat. And I'm just like, you know, you know mind sending a mind message to the doctoral student like hey just soak up everything Rochelle is saying <laughs> cuz it was it's... it was pretty amazing
1: oh yeah exactly so So I think that's neat because that also helps create community. I'll be honest, when I showed up to my first AMTE, like I said, when I started my doc program, I was planning on going back to the elementary classroom. So I taught most of the years while I was going to class and and finishing up my dissertation. I finally took two years off and taught math methods while I was doing my dissertation. But at the same time, AMTE is where I found community and AMTEs where i felt this connection but i showed up the first year not knowing anyone except for ed dickey and i remember randy phillip was one of the people who first just immediately made me feel welcome and he was like rochelle gutierrez he was somebody i had read about and respected so much and to make me feel like a part of the community was exciting Mm -hmm. and i think our chats kind of helped those people like myself who might be too shy i would have never gone up to Randy. It took him coming to me that that made me feel welcome. The chat helps with that in some ways.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, Megan, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes next and uh, to hear back from others about this talk that we've had.
1: I've really enjoyed it. And it's exciting to see how we're expanding to connect what math teacher education means and how many people are passionate about it during this critical moment as we start to re-envision what's it going to look like as we move forward. So please reach out if you want to get involved. So thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. It's our pleasure. And thanks again for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, and we hope that you're able to implement something that you just heard and take an opportunity to interact with other math teacher educators. Also, we're wondering, what do you want to hear in upcoming podcasts, and who do you want to hear from? Let us know through the virtual suggestion box. We just set it up. You can find it in several places at the Contact Us page at teachingmathteachingpodcast.com or in the show notes for this episode or many other places.